Mark chapter 5 today, Mark chapter 5, a message I simply call sitting clothed and in his right mind. Mark chapter 5, verse 14. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus. And saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. Mark chapter 5. This is a shocking passage. Jesus came face to face with a demonic host. A swarm, if you will, of demons. We can't help but wonder if when the Lord was looking across the Sea of Galilee and said... So simply to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. We wonder if a look of determination crossed his eyes. Look of hostility. The look of a man who has a fight ahead of him and he knows it. We don't know. But he certainly knew what was ahead. Maybe him taking that moment to rest sleep was a part of what was about to happen. Maybe, maybe the storm itself figured into it somehow. We don't know. We don't know any of those things. What we do know is that Jesus left the territory known as Israel and crossed over the Sea of Galilee into a very Gentile region that was dominated by idolatry. And this morning I want to remind you, I know you know this, but I want to remind you still that there is a connection between idolatry and the demonic world. There always has been, there always will be. Paul expressed it very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as he was talking about uh, the believers in Corinth and whether they should go down to the temple or not and, and be involved. And so he says this in verse 19, What am I saying then, that an idol is anything or what is offered to idol is anything? Rather, that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice. And when he speaks of their sacrifices, he is talking about their idolatrous worship practices. That included their animal sacrifices and other things, but it all would be lumped up in that same. This was their public acts of worship to idols. And what did he say? The things that the Gentiles sacrificed, they sacrificed to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Idolatry still flourishes today. It flourishes even in religions that are known by the world as being Christian's religion, Christian religion. 
wherever people bow down and pray to gods of their own making, it has been and always will be a fertile place then for demonic operations. Idolatry was closely associated with sorcery or witchcraft. And we see this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20 where Paul gave that long list of the works of the flesh and he put these two together, idolatry and sorcery. Sorcery is the Greek word pharmakia, pharmakia. It's the word from which our word pharmacy is derived or pharmacist. And it referred to the practice of the sorcerers of mixing potions and how that they were always around where idolatry was going on. So that it wasn't just idolatry, and it's not just the demonic, but it's also drug use as well. This was so much so that Paul warned them about drinking the Lord's cup and the cup of demons. Why would he do that? Because taking that potion that they offered, was a big part of their idolatrous worship. Uh, did they know about drugs back then? Oh, yeah. They were well, well familiar with opium. Yeah, most of their drugs were plant-based in those days. They, they knew about opium. They laced a lot of their drinks with opium. And that in and of itself would have been enough to cause a lot. They knew about hallucinogenic drugs like mushrooms and others. They... They had a lot of that stuff going on. And, and the sorcerers were just adept at using these drugs. Some of them were poisonous in the right quantity, mixed right. And they knew how to mix that too. You search Roman history and you're going to find poisonings everywhere. I mean, just it, it, was, just, it was everywhere. So if they were well familiar with the use of drugs, and they were, and if they were using them, and if it was a part of their idolatrous worship, and you can see how it was. Some of the things that they were going to do in the worship of their idols, uh, they could do it a lot better and a lot easier if they were lit, uh, drunk, under the influence, especially these powerful potions. Wherever idolatry flourished, the sorcerers were always around, and the demons were all up in the middle of it. It almost sounds like a bad Hollywood movie because we see in our text today that sometimes these demons found a host. And that host was a human being, human body. It kind of reminds us of invasion of the body snatchers or something. We're such an enlightened people today, so educated. That we seldom consider the possibility that such a connection still exists. That idolatry, drug use, and the demonic world are all tied in together. I can assure you today when you go into a place that is dominated by idolatry, you'll understand what that plague that God brought against the Egyptians so long ago was all about when they... There descended a darkness, the Bible says, a darkness that can be felt. You go into a place that is dominated by idolatry, you can feel the darkness. It's there. 
As Jesus and his disciples then came ashore, they were met immediately by the welcome wagon, if you will. And what a welcome it was. Verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, screaming, screaming, cutting himself with stones. The strangeness of this situation only grows as we go on in the story. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Don't read into that more than what it is. The word itself simply means to bow down. He bowed down before Jesus. And he said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Almost the same thing that the demon infested man said. The demon said to him in the synagogue we saw a few weeks ago. What have I to do with thee? Are you come to destroy us? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, that's Jesus, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion. For we are many. Remember the graves were made in the cliffs where they were hewn out and used for generations. Many of them still exist even today. This man then made his habitation with the dead because he was unfit for the living. He lived in the caves. He lived in the mountains. Dr. Luke tells us that for a long time, a long time, he had worn no clothes. Filthy, no doubt, both in body and in conduct. The only solution for such a man was incarceration. They tried it, but they could not keep him locked up. Incarceration was the only cure for things or the only resource that people had for folks like this for thousands of years until recently we discovered a marvelous drug called lithium and a few others that has had some kind of effect and some helpful. But the incarceration they tried for this man proved ineffective. If this sounds eerily familiar to us, it should. There is in our own country a growing population of at best, at best, mentally ill people roaming the streets of our country. We haven't been able to keep them incarcerated either. Not because our bars were ineffective, but because of Well, decisions made by judges and others who have made it impossible to keep them locked up. And it seems that all the king's horses and all the king's men don't have a solution for this problem. Find a wooded area in Little Rock or North Little Rock right now, but don't go in there. They're swarming with people. 
Am I telling the truth? <laughs> They're swarming with people. Many of them only slightly better off than this man. Only slightly. Night and day you could hear this man howling and screaming. He used sharp rocks to cut himself. Maybe trying to kill himself. But most certainly trying to hurt himself. This too is an epidemic in our nation today. This man had superhuman strength, which today is associated with certain kinds of drugs and psychotic or sociopathic behavior. But you could ask our policemen, they'll tell you. We look at all of this and none of us would even suggest demonic activity in all this. I'll tell you, I thought about it a lot. And maybe we're ignoring the obvious. We'll talk about that more in a few moments. This man saw Jesus and ran to him and fell before him on his knees. He pled that Jesus would not trouble him or destroy him. He had a time in mind. So that these demons not only recognized Jesus Christ and knew exactly who he was, uh, and, and certainly they knew the word of God, but they also uh, had good uh, uh, idea of what the second coming is all about. After all, in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, uh, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever I'd say, amen, would you join me in that? You think about what these demonic spirits, myriads of them, 10,000 times 10,000, who knows how many. But they have a set future. They're going to all be cast into the lake of fire forever. What a sobering admission this is as Jesus demanded this man's name or the demon's name. Not the man. The man's identity had long since been wrapped up in the identity of the demons. He said, my name is Legion for we are many. A, a legion in the Roman army in the days of Jesus contained 5,200 men. 5,200. Later they would shrink them down but uh, at that time that's what it was. However many there were, we know that Jesus put them in a herd of swine that Mark tells us there were 2,000 swine. So we could conclude that there was at least 2,000 demons in this man. What a strange, strange scene this is. Again, as we look in the text, we notice that Jesus did not give a lot of explanations about what was going on, and the disciples didn't ask for any. And, and that tends to indicate, when you see that in Scripture, that the meaning of what was going on, what Jesus wanted them to see, they saw. He wasn't pointing out something extra. Uh, there was, it was all right there in front of them. He gave it to them very plainly. The disciples saw it and understood it. And I think the way this thing all plays out for us today is pretty obvious if you look carefully. So this brings us up to speed, as it were, with our text verse as Jesus sent the swine 
uh, the demons into the herd of swine and they came to Jesus then and saw the one who had been demon possessed sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine and they began to plead with him to depart from their region. In this powerful story then of Jesus dealing with this host of demons, never once was his power challenged. Never once. He is in complete control of this situation, at the very least from the time that his feet touched the shore. But probably before that even, but certainly then. There was never any doubt about the outcome from the moment here's this legion of demonic spirits that sees Jesus and runs to him. And what do they do? They bow before him and beg. They bow and they beg. They bow and they beg. Who's in charge? Jesus is. His power, his authority was never in doubt and never in question. Everybody saw it. Everybody knew it. This story then shows us three incredible things that are put on prominent display. You see, Jesus would use this occasion to show to us that the true power and nature of sin itself. When the demons begged him saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission at once. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000 and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. They ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned. Bring this uh, to your attention to, to show you how that this whole passage is talking about the true nature of sin. And, and, and Jesus puts that on display by what he does in this passage. Is because we certainly understand that God could bind and destroy all the demonic forces in the world. Just like that. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Here they come to him bowing before Jesus. They knew exactly who he was. Begging that they not be sent out of the country. Begging that they not be sent to the abyss before the time. Begging that they'd be left out of the lake of fire for a while. Begging that they could go into the swine. And Jesus immediately noticed. Remember, I told you, it's all right there for us. Jesus immediately gave them permission. Remember, Satan asked for permission to torment Job. You remember that? He got it. Remember that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Remember what he called him? The messenger of Satan. The word there is angelos in the Greek. Angel. Angel of Satan. The buffet me. Remember Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. 
He asked for permission. He got it. Permission was granted. And so if we are wondering then why that Jesus didn't just send them straight to the abyss, why didn't he just deal with them once and for all? That's 2,000 less demons after all in the world. Why didn't he send them all? He could do it anytime he wants to. I really only have one answer. He doesn't want to. And since our God is a faithful God, and all of His works are true and righteous, and He gives us at least three indications in Scripture of times when the demons are being used to accomplish His purposes, that we have to come to that conclusion. I mean, it's right there before us. Demons are around for a reason. If God was through with them, He'd have them down in the pit. What could God possibly use demons for? I think it's obvious in the text. Demons stay around to demonstrate God's purposes, which is primarily to show us the true nature of sin. The true consequences of rebelling against God, of refusing and rejecting the light, and choosing the darkness. Remember Jesus said in John 3, 19, that men loved what? Darkness. Rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. But there's something so deceptive about sin that we think it's fun. <laughs> we laugh at it. It makes you happy. <laughs> Gives you a good time. Sin is deceptive. The deadliness of it is hidden. The darkness clouds men's minds and their eyes and their hearts to what's really going on. They don't see what it's doing to them. They don't see what it's doing to their family. They don't see the deeper they go into the darkness. There's the demons. And it seems from this text that God is using them to show us the true nature of sin. There it is. You want to see what sin's really like? Look at this maniac of a man. Look at him. Can you imagine? I've been in idolatrous lands, folks. I have. visited an island that was renowned for its cannibalism. It was real. Uh, the skulls are still stuck on the trees unless the hurricane blew them away a few years ago. The hot springs where they used to cook people are still there. Some of those old grandpas, you look at them, they cut themselves and you got scars all over their face. Not just the men, the women too. Just try to imagine what this man looked like. His life became a testimony to how depraved and dirty and defiled it all was. And it showed their utter powerlessness to prevent it. 
Jesus turned these demons loose then to go into the swine. It showed that they were no longer in the man. That was one thing it showed. And it also put on full display what demons are good at, what sin is really good at, which is causing destruction and depravity and death. And I want to remind any of you that may be contemplating the darkness and contemplating the dark side of life, you choose well. You better know what you're getting into. God has put it on full display. You see what it does. See the filth and the depravity and the destruction and the death. See those swine immediately rushing headlong to drown themselves in the water violently. Swine were just a reflection of what this man had been tormented with for who knows how long. When you reject the light and choose the darkness, you get the darkness and the demons are all over it. And I think we're kidding ourselves and ignoring sometimes the obvious. As you see people who are Deep into their drug addiction. Look at them. Look in their eyes. When they talk you can smell the brimstone on their breath. I'm telling you. We know it. On some level I think we know it. There's more to this than just drugs. There's more to this than just bad thinking. There's more to this than just violence. Wherever the demonic flourishes, what are they going to do? There's going to be violence and death on an incredible scale. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Goodness. How can people do what they're doing to each other? How can there be so much violence and so much bloodshed? And the best solution we can come up with is take people's guns away like that's going to do anything they didn't have guns then the violence was very real when you choose the darkness you get the demons demons exist then to put on display True power of sin. We'd probably never see just how depraved and dirty and defiled it all is. If it weren't for the demons and how they work. How violently they move people. The story then also shows us the horrible hardness of human hearts. Verse 17, then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. I've been thinking a lot, and I know I've talked to you several times about it, but I I just keep getting it on my mind about Jesus' dealings with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And all it took for a revival to break out in that Sumerian town was for Jesus to say, go call your husband. That's all it took. Go call your husband. (laughs) Boom, whole village got saved. And here he cast out 2,000 demons at least. And what did they say? Did they have a revival? Did they all come down and bow before Him? Were they all confessing Jesus as their Savior? No. They said, get out. 
please leave. Actually, is what they said. They didn't say get out. Please leave. They implored him. The demons were begging too, but these people were begging as well. Please leave. So what did Jesus do? He got in the boat. See, these people weren't concerned about the swine. They didn't say a word about that. They weren't impressed very much by this man sitting and clothed in his right mind. Remember, the demons didn't want to leave this country. Why? Because they were well established there. Their idolatry was flourishing. The people were steeped in the darkness and the depravity and the demonic power that went with it. The great evangelist Vance Havner was famous for preaching a sermon he called Getting Used to the Dark. It's amazing. It's amazing what people can get used to. And they very quickly chose Satan over the Savior. How many people make the same choice? How many people in America doing the same thing? They choose the darkness. They choose the depravity. They choose the violence. They choose the death. When all the time there is Jesus who can deliver them. And uh, don't want that. The true power of sin then is put on prominent display in this passage by the demons and what happened to them and how they went headlong rushing violently then into the lake and we also see the hardness of human hearts talked to brother Bill about it this morning I I wonder we've been dealing with the pestilence for 18 months now we we think we've got it beat but you know what (laughs) we didn't have it beat it's probably worse now I wonder what we're going to be saying after another 18 months about that. Hurricanes rushing in at us, not even giving people time to get out. All we need is a few locusts. We've got fires burning. We can't put the fires out. Earthquake or two. Sometimes I wonder what it's going to take for God to humble this nation. He would say to Capernaum while he was here, Oh, Capernaum, if the works had been done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. I wonder if God wouldn't say the same thing to America right now. Repentance is often the last thing on anybody's mind. The true power of sin put on display. The hardness of human hearts, (laughs) that's put on display. And if that was all I had today, it would be a really downer message. And it kind of is anyway. And I'm not even going to apologize for it because this is just what it's putting out for us. Jesus could have sent all these demons straight to hell, but he didn't. He used them to show the destructive and violent effects of sin. To show us how sin really is and what it's doing. When you choose the darkness, you get the demons. And this is what the demons are going to have you doing. They're going to have you cutting yourself. They're going to have you killing yourself. They're going to have you doing violence to yourself and to others. They'll have you screaming and howling and torment until you die. This is what you get. It's what the darkness is full of. 
hardness of human hearts and that they'll choose the darkness. Please leave. We don't want you around here. But then Jesus also puts on display in this text the redemptive power of the gospel. I, I, I can't help but see, and in my mind's eye, I'm trying to see this guy all cut up and remember his dark skin so we can only imagine how those scars just stood out on his face and his hands and his arms. He'd been naked for who knows how many years and filthy for who knows how many years. Unable to sit still, running, rushing here and there and going and running and scaring and shouting and screaming and Nobody could tame him. Nobody could make him sit still. And yet here he is. <laughs> Some of y'all might have to help me up. <laughs> and I see this old maniac of a man sitting there with clothes on, cleaned up, <laughs> with a big old smile. Big smile on his face. He wasn't saying nothing. <laughs> Just sitting there. All of a sudden, he's not tormented anymore. He's just sitting there. He didn't tell the story. Somebody told this story for him. That's in the text. The people came around. They heard about it, and they came to see it. And there were eyewitnesses there. And they're all, what was this guy doing? Just sitting there. Oh, how good it feels just to sit. Not be tormented. Got the clothes on. Cleaned up. But amazingly then, he sees Jesus going in the boat. I mean, he's, he's loaded. They said, please leave. So what did Jesus do? Loaded back up in the same boat he came in on. There he goes. Here comes that guy. What's he say? I'm going with you. Take me with you. Take me wherever you're going. Get me out of here. These people are still choosing the darkness. I don't want to stay here. Take me out. Get me out of here. And Jesus said, no. Demons begged him and he gave them what they wanted. The people begged him. He gave them what they wanted. But this man begged him. And Jesus said no. And instead Jesus gave him that incredibly significant command. That we know from this side of his death, burial and resurrection so well. Go. you ask the question, who was the first Christian missionary sent out by Jesus? The answer is this guy. This nameless Gentile man in Gadara. Before he sent out the apostles, he's called them, but he hadn't sent them out yet. Before he sent out the 70, the first guy he sent, the first one he told to go, Go and tell. It's this guy. 
The Decapolis was a ten-city region north of the Sea of Galilee. There, that, that prefix Deca would tell us. That's ten. Ten cities. Those ten cities were Gentile to the core. Idolatrous to the core. Demon infiltrated, no doubt. And it was there that Jesus sent this man. There's no record in the text of his baptism. If he was baptized, the, the Bible doesn't record it. He tried to join the church, but Jesus wouldn't let him. <laughs> Don't look at me that way, folks. I'm just telling you what's in the text. There'd be plenty of time for that later. There was something critical that this man could do right now, and that's go and tell. You go and tell what great things that Jesus has done for you. And you know what this man did? He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. He went and told. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled what a story he had. Let me tell you about the darkness I was in. Let me tell you about the life that I lived. I, I was a mindless maniac trying to kill myself, howling and screaming. I lived in the darkness for years until I met that man named Jesus. And he changed my life forever. I was a miserable, naked, perverted, evil, depraved man. And if Jesus could save me, he can save you. Tell people what Jesus had done. What a story of God's redemptive grace. That he could take a madman, a cutter, howling in pain, bent on self-destruction. Miserable, naked, perverted, evil, depraved man. Change him. Bathe him. Put clothes on him. And the same day, send him out as a missionary. What did he know? He knew that he had met Jesus that day. And he had changed his life forever. Every person in this building that's been saved knows that much. You know that you've met Jesus. You know that he has changed your life forever. And there are people all around you that you can go and tell what Jesus has done for you. Well, messages like this. So I love this story, and I do. I love the story of God's redemptive grace and to see how then that this man is sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What a testimony. What a testimony. Love it. Love the story. There's some sobering truth in this story as well. Darkness is as real today as it ever has been. There is no indication in Scripture that the demonic world is any less involved in what's happening around us than they've ever been. The sheer numbers of people on this planet right now 
the idolatry, the deception that is everywhere, the violence that is everywhere, the drug addiction and drug use, men immersing themselves in the darkness. Yeah, it's real. It's real. But I want to remind you of something today. This passage puts on display that the gospel is more powerful than anything the devil's got on his team. And we, we have that power at work in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Let's stand together, please.